Well, good morning. I'm Bill Howard. I am the founder of Alex's House. I appreciate the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. I appreciate Cliff and his invitation. Cliff and I have been friends for a long time. We usually retreat together out at uh, Myrtle Beach about once a year. That, that time, I don't know if y'all been aware of that, when we go off and hang out together, me and him and several other pastors. And Great, great, great fellow. I love your pastor. Well, let me share with you a little bit about my story, about what God's done in my life. I pastored four years in Kentucky, right out of the seminary, and then I came to uh, what was then Agape, Agape Baptist Church in in, uh, West Columbia, Lexington, South Carolina, and ended up staying there 21 years. Anytime you're anywhere, 21 years, you know, you work up a, like all of our elders there, I led them to the Lord and baptized them through the years, so they were, man, they would take a bullet for me in a minute, and you, you have a lot of security, and you have a lot of freedom. You work up a good salary after all those years, you know. Our next phase, as my wife and I had, had understood it, was grandkids and going on vacation with the grandkids and, and enjoying that, having a good time. I have a 27-year-old, 24-year-old, and 22-year-old, and uh, my wife of 30, 30, boy, I'm glad she didn't come with me this morning, 31 or 3. 31 or 3 years. So, you know, it was a really, really, really good, really good position. In October of 2009, I was sitting in my lazy boy. I was just sitting there, and I'm talking. I had a Saul on the road to Damascus experience. God just absolutely poured his spirit into me and said, start an orphanage in Haiti. Rescue homeless children. I'm talking out of the blue. I know that might sound odd to some of you, but that is just what happened. And I was just broken and weeping. And, and that was in October. And all through that month into early December, I was looking up stuff online on Haiti. I didn't know anything about Haiti. had never been to Haiti. had never seen a documentary on Haiti. had never read an article on Haiti. I had none of it. None of it at all. But I knew that's what God called me to do. My wife was worried about me. She said, do, I need, do we need to get you to see a counselor? I said, baby, anybody that can tell me how to start an orphanage in Haiti, bring them on because I'll listen to them. And so I ended up Googling missionaries in Haiti. And Sam and Dolores York were the first one to pop up on the screen. They were actually Southern Baptist missionaries serving in the Dominican Republic, which is the other uh, two-thirds of the island than uh, Haiti ministering to Haitians there. They had served in Haiti for 12 years. So I emailed them and said, I know you don't know me from Adam. I'm Bill Howard, pastor, blah, blah, blah. Can I come down and can you just give me some direction? Just point me in the right direction. They were very hospitable, welcomed me down. And as I was sharing my vision, what God had put on my heart, they said, you've got to meet three young men, three young Haitian men that we're discipling. Because one of them has the identical vision that God's given you. And sure enough, I did, fell in love with them, and our hearts, Alex was his name, our hearts were just locked spiritually. And so we said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to plant an orphanage in Haiti. So they brought me across the border, and, and we, I stayed there in Alex's house, and it was clear that is the ministry that God had called me to do. So let me start just a couple of slides, and then let me weave more, one more story, and then I'll, I'll go on through. So if we can start, 
Our, our theme is for the least of these. When the Lord said, when you've done it for the least of these, my brother, you've done it unto me. I'm just going to point and will. This is off Alex's balcony. Um, this is in, in um, November of 2009. This was off of his balcony looking out. And this is the same shot uh, after the earthquake, the result. It just went through and just picked out places and just devastated it. I told them in December of 2009 is when I left there for my first initial trip. I said, I've got to get home and preach the Christmas series in my church. I said, I'll be back the 1st of January, but I've got to get home and preach through the Christmas series. So I did that. I went home preached three weeks of the Christmas series, and I called them back at the 1st of January and said, gosh, I've, been, I've just been home three weeks. I was away three weeks, back home three weeks, Give me a couple of more weeks and um, let, me, let me get everything settled. Then I'll be back down. Well, lo and behold, what happened in that couple of weeks? On January 12, 2010, this earthquake happened. My wife and I were sitting at home. We were in a knot because it's one of those things where you know in your spirit, you know the truth of something. We knew Alex was dead. Nothing had confirmed it, but Alex lived in a, if you can see these little things, they're little square things, and they build them straight up because they can't afford any land, so they just build straight up. He had a three-story little concrete house with a little bitty spiral stairway going up through the middle. All of his family lived in it. It's like different nationalities, aunts, uncles, you know, everybody kind of lived in together, nephews and cousins. And I knew in my spirit there's no way that he could get out of there. There's no way in the 7.3 seconds that an earthquake took that he and all of his family could get down that spiral stairwell and out. The other two brothers who lived in a totally separate place, you could have got out five directions of their little house. But our hearts was broken. We just sensed in our spirit that Alex was, was dead. Three days after the earthquake, the missionary called and confirmed, sure enough, he died in the earthquake. We were, my wife and I, was devastated. We've lost both of her parents, you know. We've lost some aunts, uncles, grandparents. We have never grieved, though, like we grieved over him. It was like biblical wailing. Our hearts were just broken. The irony of the whole thing is, did you hear me say this is the same shot from his balcony after the earthquake? His house didn't fall. No one in his house was injured. He was eight houses down leading a Bible study for young men. And that house collapsed and him and the six young men in it died studying God's word. So when that happened too, I knew that I knew we've got to do this. So our church took up a big offering for me. I, I went and got on a plane with a pocket full of cash and Went, flew into the Dominican Republic, because if you remember, all the Haitian border was closed down. I went to and got a rental car. I went to the missionary's house. I printed out red crosses and taped them to the front of the windshield and down the side of the car to try to look like I was somebody. Went to the uh, pharmacy, loaded it up with antibiotics. You can buy anything over the counter there. there. Antibiotics, cleansing solutions, casting materials and started going in. I'd get to the border of, Port of Haiti, and I would flash my lights, and they would think I was somebody, and they would wave me through, and I spent three days just running rescue missions back and forth. If we can get any more. This, it was a devastated country. 
People were scattered out among the rubble trying to dig people out. But if you can see, you know, there's, there's eight, ten inches of concrete. Tons and tons and tons. They had no materials whatsoever. There were bodies just scattered everywhere. They were run up to my car. The good thing about the crosses was that the red crosses was it got me inside the country. The bad thing, everybody thought I was a doctor. It was a land in disaster. Like nothing I've ever seen here in America. Lines and lines and lines of people waiting to get some sort of bread or water or medical help or anything that they could anything that they could get. And the most heartbreaking thing, there were children everywhere. I mean, just children scattered all out in the streets, wandering around. No mamas, no daddies, nobody to take care of them. Um, you would find a lot of kids out. This is a few days later. They would get out. They'll get a rag or a shoe shine box, whatever they can, and they'll run out. Haiti has had 80% unemployment for 40 years. 80% unemployment for the last 40 years since they've been keeping up with it as if it were better before then. So you make up jobs. So the kids will run out and dust your car off or something and, and, and try, to get some, try to get some money for it. When I was in there, I had Jimmy and Patrick, the two other young men that were not killed in, in the earthquake. And we were in Patientville and it had come down and it had stopped in traffic. There was a little tap on my window. And I looked over and there was a five-year-old boy holding the hand of his two-year-old brother. Two-year-old brother just tears streaming down his face. The five-year-old boy was completely blank. No expression whatsoever except his hand out. So we stopped the car, got out. We gave him our protein bars out of our backpack. Gave him our water bottles. And What good is it giving a five-year-old money? I told Jimmy and Patrick, our, our two other guys, I said, we're going to take these kids. These, these are going to be our first two children. He said, we cannot. We cannot take these children. Do you remember what was going on back there about the group that went down there and loaded up the school bus with babies, kids, and tried to take them across the border? Do you all remember that? Got put in prison and the whole thing on the news about it. So we didn't. We gave them what we had. We got back into our car, rolled up the window, and I drove off. And it was one of those times where you say something, but you don't realize that you said it out loud until your ears hear what your mouth just said. I thought it was so strange as it hit my ears. I said, my church will never believe what I just did. I just left two little babies on the side of the road. Now, that's the sort of thing there. That one college kid who later came on a mission trip said that I've always coined his phrase. He was crying in debrief one night and he said, I don't think I can ever unsee the things I've seen. I've never been able to unsee that little five-year-old boy and the two-year-old brother. And I've never been able to unsee me driving away, going back to America to preach the good news of Jesus of helping people and knowing that I left a five-year-old boy on the side of the road, holding the hand of his two-year-old brother, begging for survival. How do you unsee that? So it's, I wish I had a redo. 
I'll tell you, I wish I had a redo on that one. I wish I knew then what I know now about rescuing kids. I wish I knew the procedures. I wish I'd known how to go about it. But I didn't then. So I just prayed and I still trust to this day that the Lord's hand was upon them. And the Lord's rescue was upon them. So we went back, we we regrouped and we said we've got to go now. We had never planned on starting that early, but the, the, what the earthquake did is hit the fast-forward button, and we said, we've got to go now. So we went out from then on, and we started talking to kids on the street. This little boy was nine years old, and we told him, you know, we can feed you, we can give you a home, we can send you to school, we can take care of you. He dropped his head. He said, I want to go with you. Then he made the wisest remark I've ever heard a nine-year-old say, but he said, I'm afraid you'll do something bad to me. When you're nine years old, you're not supposed to have those thoughts. I'm afraid you'll do something bad to me. But we kept talking to him, and lo and behold, he did. He got into our car and drove off with us. I know that sounds so foreign and so suspicious in America. But he got into our car and he drove off with us. We went out and found it. What you do, you say, where do you live? And he'll point to an area. So you get the child and you just go walking through these massive tent cities or wherever it is and you say, do you know this child? No, but he, he lives back there. You go back there, do you know this child? Well, he lives over there, do you know this child? And you keep going till you find someone who is at least the guardian, is responsible in some way. It might be a grandmother, it might be an aunt, it might be a neighbor, it might be somebody that he's been playing with their kids. But somebody will usually say, yes, I'm responsible for him. I can't feed him. I can't clothe him. I can't send him to school. But I'm responsible for him. So this little little picture here, what I was doing, I had my phone. Uh, I had my uh, camera. <clears throat> There's places in Haiti you just don't take pictures. In the middle of a tent city is one of them. Especially in the despair. It's like walking into the emergency room and you're out there with your camera taking pictures and people are about to knock you out because it's not the time to take picture of them. So I had my camera under my arm and I would just look this way and I would just point and click to where they wouldn't know if I was just holding it or if I was taking pictures. And this was eventually the lady that came out that said, yeah, I'm responsible for this young man. That was his little brother. That's him with his arm around his little brother. And that's the little boy there. And he was looking by this time a man had finally come up, arm amputated, through the earthquake. Didn't say he was his dad, but said he's responsible for the little boy. And I said, we can take care of him. And we'll take him back. We have an orphanage, and, and we'll see that he's educated and fed and taken care of. You can come visit him. He said, he didn't want to listen to any of that. He said, listen, I don't have a problem with you taking the boy. But he earns a dollar a day begging out on the street. And you'll have to pay me a dollar a day. So now I'm going from just taking kids off the street with no permission, as if there's anything like that there, to now I'm buying kids off the street. So he said... You can imagine what would happen on that exchange. Yeah, here's, you know, here's your money, and then here he comes. Well, we've got to have more money. You can imagine what would happen there. So, so we said, well, we're not going to buy him. We're not going to 
pay you for him. So we went on. I sent Jimmy and Patrick back. I had to leave a day or two after that to come back to the States. I sent Jimmy and Patrick, our other directors, back. I said, go back, ask him again. He said the same thing. He said, you can't have him, but you can have his two little sisters. So he gave us two of the little sisters, the two little girls you saw there in the slides or two before. So we were grateful. At least we got to help some of the children that were that desperate. But you know, later on, I started thinking about that. Let me get, this is going to give you an idea of the desperation of Haiti. The man, when he was speaking to me, was speaking in Creole, Haitian Creole. He said, you have to give me a dollar a day. He brings a dollar in a day off the street. He was a, he's not an American. He's not familiar with American currency. He wasn't saying, give me an American dollar a day, that he brings in an American dollar a day. He was saying a Haitian dollar. There's 40 goods equals one American dollar. A Haitian dollar equals five goods, which translated to American money equals eight cents. He was telling me he brings in eight cents a day. Now you can have him, but you've got to give me the eight cents a day. And the more devastating truth of that is, he was telling the truth. He needed that eight cents a day to feed these people that him with his one arm was trying to take care of. That's the desperation of Haiti. Eight cents a day. So what we did, we took his two little sisters. This is Jimmy's and Patrick's original house. This is where we started the orphanage. And there are several doors that they ran out of in the orphanage. But we went in and took their house. And this is our backhoe and our road equipment. We had a metal pail and we started loading up the rubble and started dumping it out. We laid a foundation of concrete blocks to where when it rains, we would have somewhere to put them. We put up tarps on the side of the house and as we collected children off the streets, this is where they lived. For a year, for a year, they lived on that concrete stretch of blocks there. This was our first group. This was probably after about three or four months. Look right at the kids and the sweet little faces and the smiles and the giggles. They were so proud. This was our original family. Jimmy is on the far back left. He was one of our, uh, direct, he's one of our directors. And Patrick is on my right, smiling. He's one of the directors. The rest of them are family members. They all opened up their home. They all live right there. All opened up their home. This is probably 600 square feet. There's probably 12 or 15 of us then. We ended up with 27. And 600 square feet of house living there. But what I want you to notice is, look at the little girl up front holding her sucker. That's Yveline. They're so proud of little things like a sucker. Look at this next picture. See if you can find her anywhere. This is about three hours later. Or look again. Or look again toward the end of the day. <laughs> so proud. You know, you got a sucker, got a sucker. We bring them books and... They're just so excited to get things and read something. They never held a book in their hands. They never had a pair of shoes. They never had a, pair of, a set of clean clothes to wear. 
They would never have meals in a day. This is Mike and Esther Lean. A social worker actually came and found us and wanted to know if we could take two more children. I didn't know there was such a thing as a social worker in Haiti. But they had a 23-year-old mom. Okay, this is inside their house. This side of the house was standing. The other side of the block wall had been broken down. This is their, like, 16-month-old little sister. If you look closely at her, her eyes are wide open. She was laying there on that dirty floor, lethargic. Look at the sheets. It's covered with flies, those little specks everywhere. Not moving, just lethargic. I said, you know, we can take that baby too. Oh, no, no, you can't, can't have the baby. You can't take the baby. This was their possessions. One little shelf up on the wall of that house, the part that wasn't broken down. Then the mom did what she could do for her babies before she gave them away. She took them outside, got a five-gallon bucket, from her neighbor, put water in it, and she came out and she bathed the kids. And she told them, you're going to go with, with the Blanc. You're going to go with the white. And these kids never batted an eye. And they got up in the back of our truck. I made her come with us so she would see where we were, tell her to come back and visit them. Mike, the little boy there on the, on the bottom left, he was three at the time. We fed them, and he would devour his food and then go to his sister and literally fight and kick and claw her. We would have to grab him and pull him off of her trying to eat her food. And he did that for about three days, and we were thinking, what on earth have we gotten ourselves into? This is a violent little boy. He wasn't violent. He was just starving. Now, you look at him, you say, he's not starving. They swell up. When they're full of worms, their body swells up. You look like, oh my goodness, their belly's full of food. No, it's full of worms. And so after that, three or four days after that, when he was convinced that when you get one plate of food, another one's coming at noontime, and then another one's coming in the evening, he was the sweetest little boy you ever met. But he was just uh, scared to death of that in the beginning. So these are our kids. These are our kids loaded up in our truck, and they're headed off. This was the first time. This was in, uh, um, I'm not really sure of the date on this, but this was maybe six months after we started at orphanage. And we were going to take them to Christmas uh, to one of the, the beaches there, a restaurant at the beach. That was their big Christmas present. So they were all loaded up. Just look at these expressions on these faces that they're going to the, to the beach. And anytime you get a bunch of kids and you go headed somewhere, what's the first thing they got to do? We got a pee-pee. So we stopped here at, at, at the local rest area. And uh, you see the local rest area right there. Is in, the rest area is anywhere on the side of the road. To, you know, then one after another, everybody's getting off the truck. We went here. As you can see, this is a nice little resort. That's my son on the far, far end of the table. Look at these plates, how these plates are loaded up, okay? Now look at the three-year-old 20 minutes later, her plate. And I mean clean the plate. You notice about a quarter of that chicken bone is missing? She's eating that bone. I said, no, no, you just eat the meat, just eat the meat. She was going through eating that bone. I mean clean the plate up. If you go look through any of our videos that we have online, you'll see one of the video before our ladies when the kids, you know, some little boys out in the community licking the plates. Um, I asked Jimmy and Patrick, I said, no, they have bathing suits, right? Oh, yes, they have bathing suits. 
So we got to the pool. I said, well, let's go to the rest area and put on our bathing suits. Oh, no, they have them under their clothes. Oh, okay. Everybody, take off your clothes to your bathing suits and jump in. They all stripped down their panties and their underwear. This is a nice resort, as you can see. And I was saying, oh, my Lord, they're going to kick us out of here. But nobody came to get us, so we just ended up having just a really big time. You, you know on a cereal box, that Where is Waldo little cartoon, when you've got to look there and find Waldo? The next slide is me and the kids. See if you can find me. It takes a while to pick me out of here. So I can find out where I am there in that picture. <laughs> so we were out just having a big time, a big time on that one. This is, of course, on the way home in our truck. Uh, one of the other things that, that, that we would do is we will go out into the community, we'll minister in other orphanages at other places. We went to one, and we pulled up there, and here these kids come out. Their bellies are all swollen. Their clothes are hanging off of them. And, and loving on it, just so grateful that you're there. They had not eaten in two days. Anybody, there were, there were 54 kids in this orphanage, had not eaten in two days. So we went back out, bought bags of rice, bought cooking oil, came back in and made a big, pots of, big pots of rice, and we sat the plates out in front of each one of them. And no one touches their plates. Not a one of them touches their plates. Till everybody is served, and then till you pray. And then they would all eat their, eat their food. We made bunk beds for them, made out of plywood and two-by-fours. And a group of my guys from Lexington went down and spent a week, made bunk beds for all of them. We didn't have any, ma- any money for mattresses, so we just had a piece of plywood on the base of it. And they crawled up in that plywood base Absolutely overjoyed. It was the greatest thing they'd ever slept on. Not even a thought of having a mattress. Just so, so grateful to have something there to sleep on. So we minister out. Oh, now let me tell you, that's the good sign of that. Now let me tell you the bad news of the orphanage. I had to walk away from it. It was as corrupt as you could possibly imagine. In Haiti, a typical Haitian orphanage is a business. Poor children are a very hot commodity for internationals. And so what people in Haiti will do, they'll go gather in all these poor children, they'll put them in an orphanage, and Americans or internationals come by and they see it and it breaks their heart and they throw money at it. Here, money, here's money, here's money. And then they leave. And they feel better because they threw money at a problem, thinking money is somehow going to solve that problem. It's not going to solve the problem. So what the Haitian directors do then, they're just corrupt. So they sell off the food, they pocket the money, and they wait on the next group to come by to see these broken, hungry children. And the last thing they want to do as good businessmen is improve the quality of the orphanage. Because if you improve the quality of the orphanage, nobody wants to give you money anymore. So they keep them in that broken state, just waiting on the next group to come through. So here's a bit of, of advice for you in any mission you do. Don't throw money at something. Don't throw money at it. Stay with it. Invest in it. Look for accountability, look for growth, look to see where the money's going to, look to see if lives are being changed. That's what we do at Alex's house. Our vision is to change lives, is to make disciples. If you go to our children and say, what do you want to be when they grow up? Our vision, we're not there yet, 
We're not there yet. We just got our first full-time American director on staff who's responsible for this specific area. But our vision is that they will say, we want to become followers of Jesus. That's what we want to do. Full-time followers of Jesus. Every single one of our kids, we want them to be full-time followers of Jesus. Now listen for the biblical lesson in this. That's not what you say. It's not what I say. It's not what I taught my people to say. We say, oh, I say, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a mailman. Well, I'm a doctor. Well, I'm an attorney. Well, I own a business. Well, I do this. Where, Where is that in the Bible? Where is it in Scripture that we grow up to do a business and and we have this slice that we call our discipleship over here and this is our church part of our life, our spiritual part of your life? The slice, all of your life is about following Jesus. All of it. You are a full-time follower of Jesus. Now here's the caveat. While you're following Jesus full-time, while you're doing your ministry full-time, whether that's out there in the children's department right now or ministering to homeless or wherever it is, you've got to earn a living for your family, just like Paul did. Maybe you make tents. Maybe you sell kitchen countertops. Maybe you deliver mail. Maybe you work at the hospital. But you do that to fund your ministry. Your ministry is not a part of your life. Your ministry as a follower of Jesus is your life. But we do have to do something to fund our ministry. So what we do, we we teach our kids to be full-time followers of Jesus. But as we're doing that, we give them a life skill to where when they grow up, they can lay blocks, they can work on diesel engines, they can paint and sell it on the street, they go to nursing school, they go to seminary to be a pastor, but they have a way to support themselves and their families and earn a living while they're being a follower of Christ in their world, whether it's in business or just in the ministry or whatever it is. So we teach them to be full-time followers of Jesus. This is one of the orphanages that I mentioned to you that, was, that we were trying to minister to. These little kids come out and just as sweet as they can be, but just, you just look at the state that they're in. There's some of the beds we build in the background I didn't put their bathroom on here, which was so heartbreaking. It was a hole in the ground with a board, two boards coming over it that you stand on. This is where we gave them the food, and they would sit, and they'd wait on their food. Look at this. They don't have plates at this orphanage, so they feed them out of whatever they've got, be it a can. Look real close at that can. Look at the jagged edges on that can. Would you ever give that to your child to eat out of? But that's a regular container that when they have food, they put it in there and the kids will dig out the food from there. Remember the little girl holding up the sucker earlier? We came out and wanted to get a picture of these kids. Some of them weren't finished eating, so they want to bring out their food to be in the photo. Look all the way in the back. Do you see right in the back center a little kid holding up a bowl of food? It would be the equivalent of us standing in front of our new car are standing in front of our new whatever. This kid's going, oh my gosh, I got my picture taken. Hey, I got food. I got food. And so wanting you to see that he's got food in his hand. This is a little girl sweeping up after we made the bunk beds. This is back to our children. Okay, this is the first day this year we're in our new location. We started in Port-au-Prince. We relocated to up to Calico. 
we build a campus there for them, and this is the first day of school, and they're just now, Jimmy and Patrick has just brought them their schools, their shoes for the year. I want to go, you know, you could take those shoes and put them in the cottages and put them on out of the dirt, but no, they put their socks on, put their shoes on, they're all standing out in the dirt doing it. This is Machina all dressed up. This is a typical dress for school. They're all in uniforms. This is a little girl that I said that her little brother would fight her over her food. That's Esterline. That's Willie. Rosemita. That was one of the little girls in the tent city where I said I'd put my, <laughs> I put my hand under my arm and was taking the pictures. She was there with her orange hair, which is malnutrition, her stomach all bloated. That's the same little girl. These are, we were on the side of a mountain giving out beans and rice one day, and we came across these three little boys. Kenzie's there on the bottom, and Willie's in the middle, and that's Uncle Woody. See his stomach all bloated up? It's literally filled with worms from filthy water. Now, not, that's just a before, okay? Well, this is Kenzie. See how brittle his hair is? He was just miserable. He was just so sick, so miserable. That's Kenzie now. <laughs> and to see Willie, see his orange hair, which is a sign of malnutrition. Now, this is only seven months later. There's Willie. And Woody, that's after we got him home. That's when I fed him. I wrote an article on that. Have you ever fed a starving child? If you never fed a starving child, one thing you need to know is you've got to stop giving them the food because they won't stop eating. They'll eat to the pop because they just will not stop eating. So that's, that's Woody. He's got six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet. And this is Woody now. <laughs> so that's something in there. This was their granddaddy. And this is a picture just to show you a little bit about how hard life in Haiti is. It's just a hard, hard way to live. Okay. This is, let me just shut some up. This is, our, our, this is on our new property. These are the two girls' cottage, the purple and the peach one. We house girls in both of those. And I'll just show you some of the last ones here. This is inside the girls' cottage. Now, these are little girls raised in a tent, out in a tent city, raised out on the street. They had nothing before. And they walked into here. You can go online and look at our videos at alexshouse.com or org, and you'll see them moving in all this. That's Jimmy, one of our directors there, and their rooms. So this is one of those ministries, I'm telling you. And I'm not, we are not the only ministry. We're not the only worthy ministry. But I am so grateful when Cliff called and said, hey, we would like to partner with you. I'm telling you, when you come down on a trip, you'll be changed. You'll be changed. The Bible will come alive like you've never seen it come alive before. Where Jesus says, go out and minister. The fields are white with harvest. You'll understand in a different way the power of God's Word and the power of the resources that God's given you to change lives. But we live in our American bubble. We just do. You can't see it until you get out of the world and, and, and live in another culture. And I couldn't see it either. And I'm still trying to learn to see things without running them through my American filter. Our country has been greatly blessed. Greatly blessed. 
But we've got to come to understand we are blessed for a reason. We are blessed so we can be a blessing to other people. One last quick story. I had a group of doctors there a while back, and one of the doctors wanted to go out to the different hospitals and see what was going on. So we went there to visit, and I introduced myself as the president of the orphanage down the street. And this is Dr. Ken Bazinski from America, from, Amer- from Maryland, and he's here. The director was, oh, my goodness. The director didn't, she didn't show us the operating room. He took us into an operation. He just didn't show us the labor and delivery. He walked right in there. Here's a woman screaming, having a baby, and he's introducing us you know, to the person delivering the baby. It's like, you know, we don't need that much of a, of a tour. So he was just so grateful that we were there. And we were back outside leaving, and, and they had signage, uh, which so impressed me, you know, emergency room this way and labor and delivery this way. I was very, very impressed to see a hospital like that in Haiti. And then what impressed me the most, they were rolling a lady out in a wheelchair. She, she was being dismissed. And that intrigued me so much because that's what we do. In our American hospitals, to be dismissed, you can't walk out. They take you out to the curb, and they did her to the curb like that. And two men got on either side of her to where she was going to be dismissed and went put a hand under her leg and a hand up under her arm on this side of the wheelchair and that side of the wheelchair, and they picked her up, and she screamed an agonizing blood-curdling yell. Oh, oh, she did, she did, she did, she did. So they put her back down. And she sat there, taking in these deep breaths, trying to recompose herself again from the pain. She nodded. They picked her up again, and she screamed and screamed and screamed, and they walked her over. And they sat her down on the back of a motorcycle. A motorcycle taxi to take her home from the hospital. She was flush with sweat. She put her arms up on the driver and she fainted. Her head hit and she passed out right as he was hitting the gas. And her nine-year-old boy standing screamed, Mama! And runs as the motorcycle is pulling off and jumps on the back of the motorcycle and reaches around and clutches the driver's shirt and holds his mama on the back of that motorcycle as he pulled off. And I just sat there and thought, Lord, where is the church? Where is the church when when we are so unbelievably blessed that things like this still happen in the earth? What would it be like to have a pickup truck sitting out front and people just stand in front of that pickup truck and as they wheel out people in agony, we say, you know, we have a truck. And in the name of Jesus, just because God loved us so much, we want to love you. And we just, we just want to take you home. Of course, there's no charge. We just want to bless you as God's blessed us. And we just take people home. This is just in the name of Jesus. We just take them home from the hospital. There's so many things. So many things we can do to be a blessing and to change things. So I just want to encourage you and pray for you and, 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 and let you know 
the world is still needing. And I know that there's, this church is doing great things and investing in great ministries. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Look them out and pour your life into the areas that you know is making a difference. And continue to be the light of Jesus in a dark world. And so thank you for your willingness to help, for your willingness to be a part. I, I was going to say, hey, let's give Bill a hand. It seems so ridiculous for me to say, hey, let's give Bill a hand after I'm, I'm sitting here uh, over there thinking, how am I going to stand up here without crying about everything that we've just heard? This is what I want us to do. Um, first of all, I want you to know that, that we have entered into a partnership with Alex's house, and there's going to be other ways for you to be involved. Bill mentioned a while ago about taking a trip. Um, we are already planning that when they release their calendar, what they, they do a great job of hosting groups to come down, and, uh, and it's, it's more affordable than you would think, um, but, but let's be honest, we've got a lot of extra money that we could do something with. So when we, uh, well, I'm not going to get off on all that, but just let me say this, when we get ready to do a trip, we want you to find the money without us having to have 28 pancake suppers to try to finance it because we don't, we don't, finance, we don't finance our sea-dews and you know, fishing boats with pancake suppers. We come up with the money. But anyway, that's another whole sermon for another day. But let me say this. Sorry, Bill. I didn't want to get off on that. Um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, plan a trip for the beginning of 2014 sometime in the first half of 2014. Mark Johnson, one of our elders, is going to head that up. You're going to be hearing more about that when we, when we get that date. We're going to look for other hands-on ways to be involved. But this is what I want us to do right now. I'm going to ask Bill, if you'll go down front and stand right about in the middle of, of that right there. Uh, I want us to pray for Bill. This is how we're going to, uh, to, to close. We're going to pray for Bill. We're not going to have a closing song today. Just going to pray for him and end in, in that way today. And this is what I want us to do. Bill's going to stand, come right here in the middle. Uh, I want you all just to come down, those of you that feel led to, get out there in the middle, Bill, where they can all gather around you. And uh, I wanted you to get where you can lay hands on him. And uh, we're going to, and if you can't touch Bill, touch somebody that's touching Bill. And just gather all around, get up there in front of him, get up in his face. There you go. Good job. And I want us to pray for Bill's ministry at Alex's house. It's not just him. He's got a lot of folks down there. Uh, Bill told me last year he spent about half of the year, exactly half the year, 26 weeks in Haiti, 26 weeks in Haiti, 26 weeks back here in America. And, uh, and we're going to pray for him, what's going on there. And as I pray, I want you to be thinking about what is your role, what's your next step in this ministry? Is it taking a trip next year? Is it, what, what might it be? And when we're done, Bill is going to be right there. You're already all around him. He would love to, to talk to you, to give you more information. Uh, we're going to put, put a link to their website up front and center on our website. It'll be up there by, by the end of the week, and you can go and just look around their website. But I want to pray for Bill, and that's the way we're going to end, by praying for him and for the ministry at Alex's house. So let's pray together. Father God, it is just such a, a humbling thing to hear the stories today of, of how you're using uh, your servant Bill and all your other your servants down there to minister to, to hurting children and to hurting families. We, we have been blessed financially beyond anything we deserve here in America. And those of us who, 
who say we don't have enough, when we compare it to what people in Haiti have, we know that we have more than plenty. And so I pray that that you would show us what our role is here. And God, I pray that you would continue to bless Alex's house. You would continue to, to grow that ministry. Allow them to, to have more beds for more children, more food to feed more hungry kids. And just as they've, they've done with these, these just last few years since they've been, been, been up and running, I pray that, that you would multiply that ministry. I pray for Bill personally. I know that this is a difficult road filled with, with stresses that most of us can't even imagine. I pray that you give him everything he needs. I pray that you would strengthen uh, he, he, he and his wife. You'd strengthen their resolve. You'd strengthen their marriage. That you would just confirm to them over and over again that they're doing exactly what you want them to do. And that he would, instead of being discouraged, that he would always be encouraged by what you're doing and by what you want to do next. I pray that if there's roadblocks in the way that would would keep them from ministering to more kids, that you would remove those and that you would perform miracles in the lives of children as you already have. Thank you so much for the faithfulness of Bill and for the other folks, and I pray that you would continue to bless that faithfulness. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. See you all next week.